0: You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production.
1: Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor Siobhan Cronin.
0: And I'm Southern Star Creative Manager Nyle School.
1: And each week we will be talking to people at the centre of the crisis in West Cork and beyond. We will also be taking a look at that week's Southern Star and how our reporters across the region are covering the coronavirus. In this week's podcast, we talk to Drimmer League native Father Tom Hayes, who has been embracing video technology to help keep the priests of the diocese connected with their communities and with each other. And Niall, we have another special treat for music fans later.
0: Yeah, we have a lovely piece actually from a local composer, a based composer, Justin Grounds, who has done a thing called the Lockdown Choir. You have to see it and hear it to believe it. It's really good.
1: Right. Well, first, let's discuss this week's newspaper. Yeah, on the front
0: page this week, uh, a kind of a, a story, it's a bit of a move away from the coronavirus, I suppose, uh, about a, a drug seizure inventory. Uh, one of a long line at this stage, unfortunately, that are happening across West Cork.
1: That's right. Uh I suppose it's a a little bit of a break from the the coronavirus front pages per se, but um, unusual one. Is there's a bit of a link, I suppose, because they were running a checkpoint there for COVID nineteen when they discovered, um, some guys um, I suppose acting suspiciously or whatever, and they discovered, after a short chase on foot, that there was some cocaine hidden in their underpants. So a bit of a different mm. take there on, the old checkpoint Charlie phrase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh we haven't forgotten though uh the coronavirus is still of course a big issue in west cork and uh we've spoken to tyke Daly of nursing homes ireland who's in the news a lot at the moment and he's actually from dreamer league so he's one of our own so he's just talking to us there about the situation you know that he really feels that the nursing homes are at the front line mm. of the pandemic now at the moment and there have been issues with the Protective equipment and with staffing levels, so it's just a an, a nice little insight there from from one of our own into what's happening there in that sector at the moment.
0: And there's an interesting story, Siobhan. I saw uh, about um, some ladies in direct provision centres are they're actually making masks, uh, protective masks for for. That's
1: um... right, uh, Clanachiltie Lodge, um, the direct provision centre there. There's two of the the women there are involved in making masks. I think it's part of an overall. <clears throat> Excuse me, initiative with uh, direct provision centres in the region, and uh, they've been asked to, to row in and they're provided with the equipment, including sewing machines. Mm. And that. But, you know, that's a it's a it's a lovely, um a lovely little story there, because as we've seen communities all over the country, uh, factories, ICA all sorts of organizations sure. and companies are really rowing in now to just try and solve that problem with the with the equipment and provide our own rather than having to rely on on other countries to do it for us so that's a nice positive angle.
0: Sure and you you referenced uh, the, the, the first story about the the cocaine seizure uh the checkpoints last weekend um there was a lot of compliance well the guards are out all over the place I suppose really but well,
1: there was there, were, there was an awful lot of fear we, we had on the front page ourselves, you know there were, there were yeah. a lot of cars around that people would have recognised as being homeowners that they wouldn't see except maybe in the summertime so there was big fear now that last Thursday and Friday with the Easter holidays there would be a big um, a, a, a resurgence I suppose of people coming back to their holiday homes, but overall Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan uh, was interviewed by Kieran our reporter, and he says overall there was very Good compliance with it. Now they did have to turn some people back, and I've even heard anecdotally that since then people are, you know, still coming down, but they are getting turned back. There are still roadworks in operation even today. And people are just being told, Look, you know, unless you've been here from the start, you sure, know, you really need sure, to yeah. stay in the in the one residence. And people who did come down two or three weeks ago, there's no going back now for the moment. You and gotta stay in yeah. home if that's where you were three and weeks. I
0: suppose it, it all ties in with that message of just not to get complacent or not. For any of us I supposed to not start going outside of the two KM boundaries or, or
1: exactly unnecessarily the start of may now they're going to review it again and hopefully sure. there might be a little bit of relaxation but for the moment it seems to be working so you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it so that's, sure. that's the, the policy at the moment
0: i see i see i see a nice story there about a local uh, she's a teacher and a pianist uh, rachel o'donovan who's uh, uh, she's been getting a lot of attention from dj tiesto for her online music so posts
1: yeah uh, rachel o'donovan she's from glandor originally and um she has been putting up these, you know, more than any musicians nowadays, I think that Mm. they're trying to find an outlet and they're putting a lot of their stuff online. And she's been doing a lot of uh, popular songs on piano and putting them up. And I was watching her the other night. She's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Really, You know, she really has a great uh, talent for mixing classical and popular. And I suppose a lot of the more modern DJ tracks have very good classical You know, lineage to them. And a lot of these guys are actually classically trained. But she put up uh, one of his big hits and um, Tiesta, like he he'd be very well known, I'd be the likes of Avicii and that, sure, um, sure. along the same you know, the same kind of popularity. And he liked it, and, and um, sent her a little message, and she was absolutely thrilled, that's, as you, as you would great be, chance. if one of your heroes spotted it. So it's it's a great use of technology again, but I'd I'd urge anyone to check out Rachel O'Donovan on Twitter, and Brilliant. just watch some of the stuff she's doing. It's really, really good.
0: Brilliant. I see that there's a story, or there's an article, I suppose, this week, which is potentially controversial, I suppose, by a, a Doris lady by the name of Helga Frost. And she's she's questioning the severity of the lockdown and was it necessary and to what extent is it working? Does it need to be as severe as it is? A lot of people might have something to say about that back, I suppose, but, you know.
1: Yes, well, uh, Helga is actually in um, the UK and obviously she can't get home to Doris now because of, of what's happening, but... Mm. She is just looking at it from the point of view, I suppose the alternative point of view, that, you know, should we have gone another direction, it is very severe on our elderly. It Mm -hmm. is very severe on our economy in particular. And she's looked at other other countries and what they have done. And I think she looked in particular at South Korea, which took, you, you may say, even a more direct line whereby what they did was when they found someone who was Mm. unwell in a house they isolated them took everybody else out like the rest of the family members had to leave that house sure that's how, how they worked with isolate and she says that seemed to have really worked for them but she's not saying that's the solution but she's just saying you know hang on a minute now you know are are we going down the right road are we just all following the pack and is is there another way of doing it i suppose it's just look it's just another way of looking at things. Why not investigate all the options and you know sure. at least have a debate about it it's I think it's just an interesting read and um I, she's, suppose, it's quite a lengthy piece.
0: I suppose the question or, or or the the thing against that is was there time to have that debate? Maybe they had to you know that 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 is the thing straight away me like, because it's as is being evidenced all over the place
1: time well, seems is. to
0: be of the essence you know.
1: Absolutely. So, and she does make that point, too. That yeah. Yeah, and, and did we rush? Did we rush into it? You know, sure, yeah. But I, I think it's just an interesting angle because everyone is, is kind of talking about that. There's yeah. always a bit of a backlash when something as drastic as this happens, wait a few weeks and people start to look yeah. around the situation and see could we have done things differently? and And maybe we shouldn't have. And it does actually seem to be working in this country. But still, I think it's just worth a read.
0: Sure it's yeah good stuff and there was another there's another piece in the paper that I really liked myself actually it was you know we all we all think we have that novel in us that we 're going to we 're going to write that story, and perhaps now is the time and there's there's a lovely piece with with advice from a, a bunch of writers, some of whom are local but certainly familiar to West cork um Literary fans, I suppose, you know, the likes of uh, Sarah Baum, uh, Carl Drinkwater, otherwise known as Helen Harriet from from All Creatures Great and Small, uh, ER Murray, and just giving their tips and advice, Stephen King, actually, as well, just giving their tips and advice on how you might just start that novel, you know, things to do. And the message that seems to come across is practice, just do it, start it, and keep doing it. Practice, practice, yeah. Great piece, very interesting, yeah.
1: Yeah, and don't panic if when you sit down to write it, nothing good comes out because it takes sure. a long time to perfect the skill. But there are some really good tips on mm. how to develop characters, how to develop a storyline, mm. uh, you know, what way to go about it. And um, it's written by Jackie Kiowa, who herself is a, a big fan of fiction, I think. And sure. uh, she didn't interview Stephen King now, but she's just drawing on one of his great pieces mm. on how to write. And uh, the other um, the other participants, contributors are all interviewed, all right, and they would probably in, in another time they would have been coming to the West Cork Literary Festival, some of those names, but of course it had to be cancelled this year, so we're we're all just disappointed yeah. about that for yeah. next year, hopefully yeah. it'll be coming around again.
0: And I, I saw another interesting piece by, interestingly, a local lady who has actually done exactly that, uh, Cara Bell, she's a Skibereen, but she's a, a teacher, uh, author, mother of five, in lockdown like the rest of us, but she's written a lovely piece in the life section about how her kitchen has become the classroom. She's now doing her classes with her students in Clonakilty School um, from her kitchen. But she's also got her own five kids at home, varying ages, and she's also an author. It's yeah, she's got a
1: she, made, t- she, she made the point that her like her coffee breaks are emptying the dishwasher now. You know, <laughs> that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, she's she's, she's got about. a lovely take, and, and it's quite a reflective piece too. Even just in terms of keeping herself sane under the circumstances, whatever. It's it's very interesting reading.
1: This week's podcast interview is with Drummer League native Father Tom Hayes. Father Tom, the parish priest in Enniskine, recently wrote about how in this new COVID-19 world, his laptop sits alongside his Bible on the altar. He has also been facilitating online communication between Bishop Fintan Gavin and the priests of the diocese over the past few weeks. So, good morning, Father Tom. Hi, Siobhan. Uh, Good morning. You're the parish priest in Enniskeen. So at the moment now, you're after finding yourself in the middle of one of the most challenging times, I'd say, for the diocese with lockdown and cocooning and all the rest of it. So how are you getting on?
2: Well, I suppose, as everybody knows, there's a massive learning curve in this for everyone. It's an enormous change. I suppose for those of us who are priests, and I'm experiencing this myself, the the biggest change, I suppose, is that a priest's life is very much about contact with people. And um, so at the moment here in Enniskine in the mornings, there's absolutely no sound from the school. Uh, when break time comes and I'm used to hearing the children coming out and they start shouting around the yard, that's all silent. Uh, there's no one for morning mass. Uh, the parish office is shut. Uh, there are almost no callers to the door. A few people coming and quickly dropping an envelope into the box and running away again. And um, the streets are silent. There's no wedding masses. There's no no station masses, rather. The weddings are all postponed. The baptisms are postponed. Our first communions are gone. Half of our confirmations remain to be done. So there's a huge amount of change. And um, I suppose uh, for me, it's almost everything is impacted, I think, by this. Um so we're trying to keep contact with people as best we can using phones and online so I'm broadcasting ceremonies and masses online and so far as we can with a great team of people from the parish who are helping out so yeah a lot going on
1: right Okay, well, we're going to come back to that in a few moments. But just bring me back first, um, because you're actually from the locality or, or close enough. You're from Drimma League originally, I think. So tell me about growing up in Drimma League and how things have changed now since those days.
2: Oh, my goodness. It was such a different world. And, um, you know, we all walked the school when I was a child. We were two and a half miles or so from the school. We walked and we to the school and we walked back we very rarely got a lift uh, it was only coinciding with maybe if my father god rest him was inside in the village to collect something that he needed for work on the farm we might get a lift or sometimes one of the neighbors but we walked back and forth um we grew up in house where there was three generations which isn't all that common now and uh, we had two grandparents with us growing up which i look back on as a great blessing actually Um, We also had enormous reliance on our neighbours for so many things, everything from helping with calving to us giving some of the older neighbours a spin to mass on Sunday and squeezing them into the car when we went down into the back behind where the messages used to go. So, so much has changed really. Um, We only did shopping on Sundays when I was a youngster. My mother only went into the sh- to the shop on Sunday when my father was having a drop and a glass with the neighbours inside in May Danes or Harry Danes or wherever it was in the village. So um, the other thing I think that has changed is that the days were longer. I yeah. remember my, my father coming back into the house, you know, late every night. Um, so his days were quite long. Um, there was a lot less machinery. Everything was more labour intensive. So farming was a kind of a much more hands on. And it was a people project, really, where there's so much of farming now is about one man or one woman and the tractor and the machine. Mm. When people came to our place, we had contact with them, you know.
1: And you you mentioned there, you know, hard work and that. But I, I noticed um, in your biography that you did quite a bit of work yourself around West Cork, uh, I suppose, in the summers and that. And you had some interesting jobs uh, varying from, I think, working in a bar in Skibbereen. I think you worked in New York. There were some other unusual ones. So tell me a little bit about some of the summer jobs.
2: Yeah, I suppose getting out and getting a few bob, especially if you were in college or, or in school. I was in boarding school for a while. So, getting a few bob into the pocket for the summer to be able to buy the books and to keep going for the rest of the year was was kind of essential. So, actually, my first job was in my first summer job was in Skibreen, in the, um, a field that was then belonged to the Urban Foods plant. I got a job planting leeks uh, on our That's on the Marsh Road. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sto-
2: we're stooping down for the day, putting small leek plants into holes. Uh, that Jimmy Tobin of Cotton had made with a tractor just ahead of us on the field. It was not very good on the back, but look, it was great. I, I worked in Drina Co-op for a summer um, under Gerry Daly in the mill, and then I got a job back in the Hawthorne branch of our own creamery. Um, under John Joe Collins, God rest him. He was the store manager at the time. And John Joe used to boast that he put three priests through his hands. There was uh, two other guys like me um, had worked in the creamery as well. So John Joe kind of looked at himself as a professor of seminarians. But, and I worked in the wine vaults in Skibreen for a couple of summers as well with Frank Wolf and family, God rest them. And um, they were great experiences because I learned an awful lot actually about people and about the breadth and the depth of people's lives and understanding all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. It was actually kind of almost part of my formation, to be honest. In fact, I sometimes jokingly say that I learned to hear confessions over the bar counter in the wine vaults. uh, It was a good exercise in in understanding human beings, yeah. Um,
1: And what about New York then? You were there for a while?
2: New York, there was a bunch of us went out on the the J-1 visa.
1: Of course.
2: So we got a job um, working on a campus of, what was a third-level college up the Hudson River outside New York. Um, A real eye-opener.
1: What what, what era was that, if you don't mind me asking? That was
2: in the mid-80s.
1: Right. That was a good time to be in New York, I'd imagine. When the Twin
2: Towers were still standing.
1: Exactly, yes. The
2: old Twin Towers were still standing. And the best part of it was that the few bob that we spared and saved when we brought it home that year, the dollar and the old pound were one-on-one. So we actually got a very good exchange rate and we came back. Um, we didn't get to see a huge amount of America because we worked kind of pretty much most of the time. We did a, a trip up Labor Day weekend to the Niagara Falls, which was fabulous and uh, got to see New York and got to see, meet a couple of cousins, a few people from Drummer League that had immigrated way back in my father's generation, got to visit a few of them. A so, lot
1: of them have bars there too, I think. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Alda, you West can North. get Siobhan, we stayed away from them, surely. Of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm sure, youngsters in the 80s. Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. So tell me then, what made you join the seminary then?
2: I suppose, to be honest, I'd have to say that it probably started out just as a hunch. And I think in truth, that's probably most fellows who go to seminary or most women who go into religious life kind of start out with just a hunch. There's a kind of popular notion that you kind of get tapped on the head some night or something and it all becomes clear. (laughs) doesn't happen that way it was the mm-hmm. thought um i think an instinct um my parents got rest of them and our wider family would have i think had an important faith a seed faith and prayer as an important part of life so that was kind of the seedbed for it but i think to be honest which you know the first couple of weeks in seminary i was lost and trying to figure out what i was doing and okay. i'd say where,
1: where was that father tom
2: I spent the first year in a seminary with the Kiltegan Fathers, which they had in Cork at the time.
1: Cork, right.
2: And it's now the Rochestone Park Hotel, believe it or not.
1: Of course, yeah.
2: And um I spent the next two years in Spain, down in the southwest corner of Spain, and then back to Manute for three and a half years or thereabouts, and I spent the last six months doing a chaplaincy course in Cork and what's now the CUH. So it was kind of a, a diverse and mixed experience, but Really good. Met a lot of fantastic people along the way.
1: And was there a time then when it all clicked and you said, yeah, this is for me? Or was that gradual?
2: I suppose at the end of every summer, really, when you're facing back to college, you kind of have to renew and clarify, renew your commitment in a sense and kind of make your mind up. Is this, is it still okay? Does it still feel right? Um, Is my instinct that this is okay? What are the people in charge of the formation saying to me? So I suppose the big commitment then comes kind of about two years before you're ordained when you're making kind of significantly more commitments. And then a year before ordained, you're ordained a deacon. And at that stage, it becomes very real. So, you know, then that you're kind of on the path for definite at that stage.
1: Right. Now, you were invited to study mass communication, which I think is mass as in the big. That's right. As in mass
2: media rather than holy communication. Yeah.
1: Um, and why do you think the bishop chose you for that role?
2: I think it was probably a coincidence more than anything else, to be honest. At the time, I was a chaplain in the school in in the secondary school. And I had started a, a community newsletter with some of the community there at the time. This was in the early 1990s when uh, that part of Cork was in huge unemployment. So the community was kind of trying to get on its feet. So one of the things that we did was publish a community newsletter that was distributed free of charge every month. I'd written a few bits and pieces for the Echo and the Examiner as well. Um, My predecessor in the communications role in the diocese is Father Liam O'Driscoll, who grew up just outside of as well. Mm -hmm. And um, Father Liam had asked me to do a few of those. And then when Father Liam's term was coming to an end in that job, the bishop asked me, would I be interested in taking it up? And would I do some training and preparation for it? So at the time, sure, I said, of course, you know, I'll happily have a go off it. And uh, no regrets. Absolutely loved it.
1: And you uh, ended up in Milwaukee as part of that. Ended of course. up
2: in Milwaukee of all places because, curiously enough, none of the third level colleges here in Ireland were had mass media or communication studies programs. Um, So the bishop kind of went shopping and looking around to see what other countries had. So I ended up in a Jesuit college in Milwaukee, a city which is, Probably better known to most people for Miller Beer, Christ. Briggs Briggs and Stratton Engines, and of course, Harley Davidson motorbikes.
1: Oh, a a uh, great place for uh, uh, priests on the on course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was a, it's very different. Milwaukee is about the size of Dublin, or at least it was when I was there. Uh, it's on the shore of Lake Michigan, not too far from Chicago. Um, so I had a, it was really good experience to go back to college to study something that I was interested in and that I became passionate about at a time when the Internet was actually just dawning. Right. I was studying mass media and communication when there was no Internet in, Amer- in Ireland at that stage. It was just beginning to happen in America. So it was a fantastic opportunity, really.
1: You got in there at the start of it, basically. Um, you also mentioned to me, I think that you had spent some time in Spain. You said there that in the, on the southeast coast was it? And uh,
2: southwest, yeah,
1: southwest. Sorry, and you, and that you speak Spanish. So, have you still got friends over there, Father Tom? I have, and yeah. um, have you been in touch with them? This is a tough time now in Spain at the moment.
2: Spain has had a horrendous time actually, and um, I felt really sorry for for them last week and some of my colleagues that I was in touch with because. Easter and Holy Week are the central, most important time in the Spanish life. And their Holy Week ceremonies are really fabulous. And their processions that they do, they go on all day and all night. And the whole community gets out onto the streets. To be told that nobody could be on the streets this year is kind of a massive transition for them. And um, they've really struggled with it. Some of them are trying to keep contact with their people online um, but it's really difficult. They've lost an awful lot of people in the in the big urban centres. The part that I studied in is very rural. Thankfully, they haven't been as badly affected, but still, they are affected. So every family that has a grief at this time, whether to Spain or here, the the trauma is just extraordinary.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and I've been listening actually to the Harbour Parishes podcast, which I think are lovely um, for the priests in monks. Monkstown, I think. I think at least one of them, Father Con Cronin, is a local man here, is he?
2: Both of them are actually. I Father sure, from sure. is from Barlin, the Barlin Valley up north of Cumhola. Right. And Father Sean O'Sullivan, the parish priest, is from Seskin in Bantry.
1: So, so two, the so they're men two West Cockland are running
2: the harbour, now, yeah.
1: Exactly. And they they have a lovely podcast if anybody wants to listen to that. I think you just look for Harbour Parish's podcast online. But the talk what really struck me about it was I think Father Khan in particular talking about the loneliness of being on their own and not being able to get out, even having to have that cup of coffee in in the village or the town. And, um, you know, you forget sometimes that um, a lot of priests have a very isolated existence anyway. And this uh, and the only chance maybe they did get to meet with a lot of people was going out into the community, holding masses, holding funerals. Now that's gone from them. So, I mean, how how are you finding that mental health wise or what are you doing to to get over that incredible isolation now?
2: I've actually been kept pretty busy, to be honest, partly because of um, what we were talking about and what I did with the communication stuff. So Bishop Fenton and the other priests have been kind of pulling me in to help with a lot of diocesan stuff. And I'm running the diocesan website and we're doing online web conferences and meetings on Holy Thursday. For example, Bishop Fenton took the initiative to meet with us online. Uh, usually on Holy Thursday, all the priests of the diocese meet in th- at the cathedral in Cork for a very special mass in which we bless the holy oils that are used for the year. We couldn't meet this year, but we did meet online in an online webinar. So we right. have 107 priests in the diocese and we had 83 of them in an online gathering. So we actually prayed together yeah. and met together and the bishop addressed us. Um, it's a A small initiative, but an important initiative. But the reality, yes, is that given the age profile of our priests, we have a lot of men who are cocooned at the minute Mm -hmm. and can't do anything outside their door. And for some of them, it's really difficult because it's almost the opposite of our instinct. You know, every priest wants to be with his people. And as Father Khan mentions in his podcast, you know, especially when people that you know have a bereavement. And people that you've maybe had on your first Friday call list that you've been calling to every month and all of a sudden one of them dies and you can't do the funeral. It's difficult. That's hard for the family and it's also hard for the priest. So there is a lot of crosses to be shared by a lot of people at this time. There's no doubt.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of them. And, you know, I suppose it's no secret that the age profile of the religious in this country is, is at the upper end of the scale. And um, a lot of them have really embraced technology, you no know, more than the rest of us struggling. I'm in my 50s. I've been struggling with Zoom and Skype, but we're getting there. Um, but I am very impressed now, I have to say, by how people are embracing that. And have you have you had to give a helping hand to many or how are they getting on? Are they able to cope themselves? Or?
2: Uh, I've been really su- pleasantly surprised. Um, the secret, of course, is that a lot of the most of the parishes have people in the parish who are well able to do this. So, a lot of the, the priests who have been most successful are the ones who have reached out and accepted help from parishioners. So a lot of the parishes have people who have stepped forward, have helped the priest to set up a Facebook account and to go live at masses and so on. And that's a really important initiative. And there's some guys that, you know, never went near a keyboard in their lives. And all of a sudden they're now live on Facebook and and they're zooming and all kinds of things. Um, I had a couple of very busy days of a learning curve with a lot of them to get them online for the webinar with the bishop. But in fairness, most of them were up for it. And um, you know, we had we had one priest who's ninety-three who joined a Zoom webinar with the Bishop.
1: Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. And it's wonderful that we have technology now to help us through because God bless us, what would happen if we didn't you'd you'd Absolutely. have to wonder. Yeah. So do you think now that as a nation or even globally, do you think people are going to be changed fundamentally by what's happened in the last two to three months?
2: I think so. uh, It's difficult at this point to see what the extent of the change will be, but I can see the indicators that there is going to be phenomenal change. We're still talking a bit about going back to the things that we've left, but I think we have left a lot of those things. I can't see, for example, the world of education going back to having everybody in lecture halls again when they've successfully managed to deliver lectures over the internet and people be out of campus. The same with the world of work. Half of the community in Inneskeen up to now, according to the last census, is gone by nine o'clock in the morning. They're all gone to work, many of them at desks and so on in different suburbs of Cork for the day. Most of them are working effectively from home now, so I think educationally, work-wise, socially, a whole lot of things are going to change. The church, I think, is going to be part of that change as well. Um, I think there's also, deep down maybe, a psychological and spiritual change going on in people. There's a lot of time for reflection and thinking and talking now that I think will be the seed for a lot of change that we're going to experience how that's going to shape up, it's difficult to predict. But I think we're going to be going forward into something new rather than going back to something that was familiar.
1: Right. And and how do you think it will impact the church? I mean, I just think on a very... Um, a very basic level, people can't say the car is broken. I couldn't get to mass. Now mass is going to be online, basically in nearly every parish. Do you think that there might be a little bit of of the, the flock returning, even and never mind because of technology, but maybe even just spiritually that they feel that they need to be more connected after what's happened.
2: I suppose one of the things that's happened is that it has taught us that our lives have been frantically busy, and we've kind of gotten ourselves into a culture where everybody has 10 things that they ought to be doing at any one time. And all of a sudden now, nine of those have been taken away. And most of us are thankfully, we're just left with one thing to do at the time. So we're able to make a priority decision more comfortably. And I think that's been happening with, with church and with other community and social activities in recent decades. People have just been manically busy and if you ask most people why they weren't able to come to church on Sunday mornings, because there was a match on or there was a pony lesson or there was swimming or there was something going on. There was about 10 different conflicts. So I think some of that having peeled back is going to allow people to make a fresh reassessment again of the things that really matter. And so I think some people will make a more deliberate decision to reconnect maybe with their faith and with spiritual spiritually nourishing their lives as well. How that will be delivered probably remains to be seen. I think we'll still have our churches, maybe not the same number, um, but and I think we'll still have an online presence now, which is beginning to be new. And I think that will be part of the future as well.
1: Right. And Father Tom, if someone's listening to this now and they want to get online, they want to see what's happening in their parish or they want to avail of the masses that are being said online now, what's the best first step for them and they might just be listening on their phone and and they mightn't be that you know familiar with all the technology involved what would you advise them to do first
2: off i suppose one one thing that might be worth doing is to look at our the website of our diocese which is the usual three W's dot cork and Ross dot org. and there's a link on that that has a list of all the parishes that are online at the minute And some of them are in streaming masses and some of them have webcams and some of them are on Facebook. So if you want a local church, that's the place to look. RTE is broadcasting a mass almost every day as well on television and on the RTE News Now channel. So people can go there as well. And if people have online access, there are a whole lot of other places online. If they just go into Google and look for mass live, they'll find mass somewhere. There's so many of them available at this stage.
1: That's right, and even I think the Pope has really embraced technology himself. I think we saw him over Easter in the Vatican. Yep. So um, you know, every, everybody's embracing it. So let's let's go with the flow, as they say.
2: hugely, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are beginning to see that that technology is actually a gift, that it's a good thing, and that it can be put to extraordinary good. Obviously, it can be abused as well, but certainly a lot of people are learning that it is really a good thing to do and it's not just for booking airline tickets.
1: (laughs) Right. Thank you very much, Father Tom, and uh, stay safe.
2: Thanks, Siobhan.
0: Just for everybody listening and watching, to remember, all of that is in this week's Southern Star. It's in shops all across West Cork and beyond right now. You can buy it as normal. If you can't get to the shop, You can buy it online by going to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper. That's the digital edition. You can get it downloaded to your tablet, to your laptop, to your phone, to your desktop, any way you wish to to view it. Alternatively, if you still want to get the physical edition and can't get to the shop, you can just ring the office on 028-21200 and organize a postal copy to get sent out. Uh, You should have it the following day. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus Podcast. Uh, Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. But first, here is this week's musical treat. Clannacilty music producer, composer and violinist Justin Grounds has set up a virtual choir uh, called the Lockdown Choir. They've recorded a piece written by Justin called The Embracing Universe with musicians working in isolation from around the world, not just West Cork, over the lockdown period. See Justin Grounds on Facebook for more. Enjoy! story. listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie